Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. I'm very excited. Uh, I've got a great show tonight. We're going to be starting off, as always, with uh, Coach's Corner, and I will introduce the gang, if you will, in just a moment. Uh, And then a little bit later on in my broadcast, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest. He's going to be phoning in uh, a little late on his time, uh, or early, I guess, depending on how you look at it, uh, from the UK. Uh, His name is John Taylor, and he's a performance mind coach and a NLP master practitioner, and I'll explain to you a little bit later on what that is. Um, He'll be joining me on the second half. He's very, very excited uh, and has been uh, speaking quite a bit about it on social media over the last uh, few days. So I'm really interested in having him in, and I appreciate that he's going to be uh, calling in uh, in the wee hours, if you will, uh, from the UK. So um, a quick uh, couple of announcements. First off, uh, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports Network is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teach professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. And just uh, wanted to share a quick announcement on that. Uh, the July-August issue uh, will be available on newsstands June 16th. So I'm really, really excited about that. I'm not going to uh, give you too much information about it. I want you to be surprised. It's a very interesting uh, gentleman who is on the cover. I'm uh, very, very excited to to put him on there. He was uh, somebody that I grew up watching over the years, so I'll kind of give you a little bit of a clue um, of his age. Um, and uh, if you want to subscribe to Golf Tips, go to golftipsmag.com and just click on subscribe, and you can get both the print version and or the digital version or both if you want. Um, but anyways, go to golftipsmag.com, and uh, subscribers will be receiving their copy about a week or so early. Uh, it's on its way uh, through the print uh, system right now, so it should be coming out here in the next uh, couple of weeks. And then, as I said, June 16th, it'll hit newsstands uh, across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, all right, um, I've got... Uh, three great guests joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Uh, first up is Pete Buchanan. He is uh, founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC. Uh, uh, Plain Simple uh, Golf uh, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, Pete's been teaching for the past 30-plus years and uh, has become one of the favorites here on the panel. Also another favorite is Peter Egazarian, owner and director of performance for Northeast uh, Performance Institute and owner and president of Northeast Golf Performance. Uh, He was also the recipient of the 2017 Northeastern New York PGA Player Development Award, and he's also a TrackMan Master and a Proponent Group member. And then rounding up the panel is uh, another friend, in fact, all three of them are, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's an instructor, body worker, and consultant. She's also an Aikido six-degree black belt, uh, Class A LPGA teacher professional, a corporate and conference speaker, executive trainer and coach, and a speaker for Vistage International and the Executive Committee of Canada. So 
Uh, gang, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Good to be here. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you, Ted. Always, Ted. Great to be here. Yeah. All right. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it. And thank you, uh, as always, for, for giving of your time. All right. We're going to talk about tonight, uh, as I was alluding to a little bit uh, off air, you know, we've all, many of us have been kind of cooped in for the last uh, few months uh, dealing with, with this pandemic. And uh, some have had the, uh, the fortunate abilities to get out there and, and work on their game. And, and, well, many of us have not. So confidence becomes an issue. So we're going to talk about um, some of the things that we can do uh, to help build your confidence, how we can help you as coaches uh, and teach professionals and what you can do on your own. So, uh, Pete, uh, I'm going to do this uh, just to simplify it. Uh, Pete Buchanan, I will address you as Pete. And Peter Exarian, of course, I will address you as Peter, um, just to keep it straight. But Pete, uh, as in Buchanan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, is the question I have for you is, is your confidence proactive or reactive? And this is not necessarily uh, a given one way or the other, but just to give you an example, uh, many great athletes are proactive with their confidence. So as an example, uh, back a little while ago, uh, Jordan Spieth was walking to the first tee at Augusta before he, uh, the final round, and uh, you can be assured he was reminding himself that he was playing uh, great in 2015. He had built the foundation uh, since he was 12 years old to handle a lead at the Masters on Sunday. So proactive confidence is a decision that you will be sustainably confident from all the great positive experience you've had uh, and uh, in the past and take that forward. So give us an example, if you wouldn't mind, Pete, when you're dealing with somebody that's more reactive as opposed to proactive. I've given you an example of, of proactive, but more of a reactive um, confidence Give us an idea of that, and what's kind of the general difference between the two, do you think? Well, that's a great question, Ted. Um, you know, reactive-wise, I can give you one just from yesterday evening having a lesson with a – it was a second lesson with a new player in reactive confidence in the fact that um, this player does not want to hit the ground because they're sort of afraid of what it might do to them. So it was building enough swings to know that, they're not going to hit the ground because we're repeating it over and over again. So it's a, it's a reaction to what they're seeing and feeling in the swing to gain the confidence that they're not going to run into the ground as they thought they might and uh, be able to swing properly and just, you know, hit it right off of there versus somebody who, you know, as you said, with Spieth, who's, who's been doing it and has the performance mm -hmm. behind them. And so they know, you know, proactively, I should say, or you said too, that mm -hmm. um, the confidence is there because they've done it before. So, you know, a two, I would say the, you know, the reactive and proactive sort of run together. I mean, you sort of have to have some reactions to know that it's going to be working, which will build your confidence so that down the road, you know, proactively you have it. So I think they sort of run hand in hand for, for a little bit, depending on what level of player that you actually are. Well said. Um, and, and you're exactly right. You know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, I think what happens with a lot of our, our golfers out there is, especially when they haven't been playing for a while, and this is really uh, one of the reasons why I want to have this discussion tonight, because we're in that situation right now where there are many people that haven't been had the opportunities to get out there and work on their game outside of what they may be doing in and out, you know, outside of their own home. Um, so their confidence level is going to be down. And in that particular case, Jamie, this sort of goes to the next question, and this is a familiar sound, is I've lost my confidence. 
So they haven't been out there hitting balls in the practice tee, and they haven't been out there playing rounds, uh, and suddenly they don't have the same confidence that maybe they finished last season with. So this is something that happens, uh, obviously, to everybody, and we're going to get into some more specific things about how to build that confidence back up. But um, this is something that you, I'm sure, have heard on the lesson tee many, many times. They'll say, you know, I'm just not confident with the shot, or I'm just not confident um, you know, in, in this particular scenario when you take them out for a playing lesson. What's the first thing that you try to do or try to instill in them um, to help them understand and work through that process? I think the very first thing is to be patient, <laughs> be understanding and patient mm-hmm. with yourself. Uh, I think we have to be realistic. And everybody's in a certain sense in the same boat because, you know, most everybody really hasn't been out. Um, there are some places where people have been able to play um, to some extent even throughout the the COVID lockdown, but, you know, relatively few. So that's one thing, you know, most everybody's in the same boat. So be nice to yourself about it. Give yourself a little time. Um, imagine the tour players, how they must feel. Um, they're mm-hmm. probably rusty as well. And um, even if they've been playing, they're rusty from being in the intensity of tournament conditions. So I think we're all going to be in a sense rusty or, um, you know, I mean, you, you need to be out there. You need to swing. You need to play to that. That's part of building confidence or having confidence. It's just that you're, you've been doing it. You've done it. You've been doing it. When we come out and we haven't been doing it for a while, quite a while, um, <clears throat> I think that we just have to really give ourselves time. And you use the exact right word there, Ted, which is process um, or process, mm. <laughs> which I love from Canada. Yeah. Um, it really, it mm. really is a process of, <laughs> of getting back. And it doesn't have to be a long one or a painful one. Um, I mean, I think everybody's going to be so excited to get back out there. And there's, especially for golfers who've been golfing for a long time, it's going to be like riding a bike, you know, you get back on the bike, make a few swings, play a few rounds. And, you know, excuse me, pretty soon you start to find your groove again. And uh, so we can talk a little bit more probably later on. I think that the Mm -hmm. fitness aspect of it's going to be important because our bodies have to be ready and stretched and into our use, the use of our golf muscles and things like that. Um, But I mean, for the most part, I think it's just, you know, give yourself a little time to get back out there. And the biggest thing is to enjoy it. I mean, I think everybody's going to be so happy just to be out there that that's more important than even exactly how well you do, especially at the beginning. Yeah, uh, well said. And yeah, we're going to get into uh, some of that here in just a a little bit. Um, Peter, I want to sort of follow up from that. Um, You know, we obviously come across golfers at at any time, but uh, particularly now we're going to come across more uh, who haven't been out for a while. Some of it could be due to um, where their uh, proximity in, in the country, if they're from the Northeast or even the Northwest, where it tends to be a little chillier for, for many months. Um, they normally mm-hmm. wouldn't get out until a little bit later than the rest of them. Um, and obviously their confidence is going to be down. And maybe last year they were, um, their short game, you know, both on and off the green was real tight and they were confident with that. But uh, again, many months have passed and then a few more months have been added on with what's been dealing. Is this a time as a coach, do you think, where rather than just coming out of the gate and off of what they were doing last year, is coming back and sort of refocusing on some of the basics. Let's go back and talk about some of the basics of the golf swing um, and and some of the fundamentals and sort of not really start over, but just a refresher course, if you will, just to get them used to um, doing things correctly when they're coming up for the first time this year. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when you're looking at playing well and, and performing well, confidence is an, in, an incredibly important aspect of it. And it comes from seeing positive outcomes and believing when what you're doing. I mean, that's the kind of the definition of confidence is this overall belief and trust that your, your capacity to execute whatever you might be doing in, in golf and life is, is going to be, you know, done well and have a, have an outcome that is in line with your expectations. And I think you make a very good point that, you know, I am in New England and the Northeast of the United mm-hmm. States, and we're spending a lot of time right now getting back to, if it's somebody that I've been coaching for a little while, or getting back to a baseline that we understood and understand. Or if I'm beginning to coach someone, it's, you know, something as fundamental as how do you make just solid contact again? Like, what does mm-hmm. it mean? Get familiar with holding the club again. Um you know, in our area, there's a lot of people that are, because golf is, you know, one of the few uh, sports that people can engage with right now, maybe they're getting back to playing golf or going to try it again, or maybe thinking about trying to start. Um, so it, it's very, very, it's a great question you're, answer, you're asking. It's, it, it's very much dependent on, on confidence and the ability to execute is, is, directly intertwined with that. But as coaches, I think it's very important that we get back to that one basic fundamental important thing of playing well is, is quality of contact and, and the ability to feel comfortable for what you're doing and, and, and move forward from there. Yeah. And, and that's, that brings up a, a great point, uh, Peter. Um, thank you for that. And that is, you know, we've had for, you know, golfers that have played for 10, 20, 30 years, they go through the same process every season. You know, they, especially up in your neck of the woods where they're in the Northeast and, you know, they might have four or five uh, months, sometimes six months, depending on how harsh some of the winners are before they can really get out there and work on their game. So they're kind of used to that. They're used to, okay, well, I, I played a great season. I got out quite a few times. And by the end of the season, boy, I was really hitting it solid and playing some great golf. Um, but now, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sit back. Maybe I'm going to watch some hockey through the season or whatever, uh, or in the fall, some football, and I'm not going to be able to get out and, and play as much as I'd like. So they've got to kind of retrain themselves, I think a little bit. And so the question now becomes, um, Pete, I'm going to go to you. And, and that is how do we build a golfer's confidence? So we talked about that, the fact that there's different types of confidence. There's those that are very proactive uh, based on past experiences, and then there's those that are sort of reactive to what they might be working on now. Um, so there's a, a couple of key points that we're going to touch on. I'm going to have each of you uh, address um, a couple in particular. Um, the first one, Pete, for you is, is preparation. Um, the old saying, build it and, and it will come, um, is really a secure feeling on the first tee that you know how to put uh, the work and effort in each part of your game uh, to do with the shots you'll need on the course. So uh, Preparation is key. Talk about some of the things that you're going to start the folks early off this season. Again, because we've had some extra time where they haven't been able to get out and play. Um, what are you going to do extra, if anything, uh, in, in helping them prepare uh, to get ready to get out and enjoy the summer? Well, another another great question, Ted. You know, for for a lot of my folks, we've been fortunate enough to be be working online through a lot of this, and and I've been giving them drills to do at home. Uh, some of the parts of uh, some of the instruction they can do. They don't need a ball. They can do it 
um, you know, just making some certain motions that I'm having them work on, uh, whether it's just the address, the initial setup, posture, and, and things that are going to get them set to play. Uh, some of them have had the ability to hit, so we've been uh, going full force. But I think more than anything else, um, I simply have a program where I, I develop the practice routines that it really is all about preparation. And so they're always working and prepping themselves toward the goal of what they're trying to do. So uh, I think at the beginning, it's taking the simple goals at the start of getting them in the right, right address position, making sure they're taking the time to, to get themselves set up to understand what they need to do. And then, you know, slowly building into the, the swings that they're, they're going to be moving into in the, in the, you know, the practice routines are going to be moving into, but making sure that they each one fundamentally have a process that they're going to go through and that they stick with, especially now since it's a little bit later for some of them getting started. And so that they understand that, that how they go through those practice processes and, and how they set themselves up will speed them along to playing a little bit better, a little bit faster uh, since they're a little bit out of time. You know, some of them would have been playing quite a, quite a bit already. I think it's just getting them to, to understand where they need to go, um, but the, the process that's going to take them there and not doing any shortcuts and not trying to, to shortcut it because there's, there's less time. You still have to go through the routines that you have. You still have to understand what you're trying to do. And, and uh, I've, I've been assisting them all in getting in practice programs where I, I, you know, a lot of them will come to me and we go through, uh, the practice that they're supposed to do, I help them through it so they can understand the process of, you know, we're doing this because it feeds here. And these are the reasons why we're doing these certain things. So I think it's just getting them prepared and uh, ready to play and uh, go from there. Yeah, well said. And I think the key thing is you have to have a plan, you know, and obviously you want to keep it as simple as possible. You know, it's, I always find it interesting, and I'm sure the, the three of you would, would probably uh, uh, certainly agree on some level, but you know, virtually in every aspect of our lives, whether whether it be our 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 day-to-day jobs, and I'm going to exclude us for a second in this case because we we all do essentially the same thing. But you know, we go out and we have a plan on how we're going to execute whatever that plan may be, and we prepare for it. We don't just go out there. I mean, obviously, as we get more and more developed and, and seasoned in our craft, uh, things become easier and become second nature. But initially, we go out, or you know, when we were in school, we prepared for a test. What always baffles me is that people don't seem to apply the same methodology when it comes to their golf game. You know, you'll see CEOs who will spend weeks and months, in some case, planning for uh, a merger acquisition, uh, and, and to every, you know, to the minute details. But yet in their golf game, they'll zip up five minutes before their round, they'll pull their clubs out and jump to the first tee without hitting a single warm-up shot, and then they wonder why they can't break a hundred. So it just, you know, preparation goes in. And this is where, Jamie, I'm going to come to you. And, and again, we're going to touch on this being proactive and allowing all the great experiences that you've had in the game to be able to uh, be put forth as your foundation of confidence and decide that temporary low points in your game will pass quickly and will not have any impact on your foundation. So, uh, again, we want to be proactive in our efforts in order to see results. Talk about that. How How can we encourage people to be proactive and getting out there and then building those different, um, you know, sessions, if you will, to gain some confidence. I think that you're absolutely right about a plan. And um, I think personally the best plan 
is to ease into it and to do it this way. Um, but, but so the overall kind of idea is, uh, you know, ease in, in a sense. And um, it's kind of like take at least the first week or weeks is sort of a, a giant warm-up, shall we say. And um, what I mean by that is, first of all, you got to get your golf muscles warmed up and toned. Um, and even if you've been doing fitness, which I hope people have um, during this time or, you know, in the off season or the COVID season, uh, there's, you know, there's certain golf muscles <laughs> that need to be activated and, mm-hmm. and uh, hooked up, connected, reconnected. And I think the best way to do that is to practice short shots. And, uh, well, first of all, to do some uh, fitness exercises. Um, I, you know this, I have something called uh, Make Your Golf Club Your Health Club. I'm using your golf club to do um, you know, golf warm-ups and, and strengthen and stretch all the golf muscles and related to the golf swing. But whatever, you know, kind of golf fitness a, a person does, I think that's important. And then to hit a lot of short shots. And what I mean is, you know, wedge shots. The short swing is a wonderful thing to practice because it's really the sort of micro core of the full swing. Uh, and what I mean is that, you know, getting a sequence of movement from the lower to the upper body, getting connected movement, making solid centered contact, being sure that your fundamentals of your posture grip alignment are, 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 are good, getting your tempo set, balancing out the swing. Um, and so all of these kinds of fundamentals you can set and practice on short shots. And the nice thing about short shots is you can practice them if you have a backyard or you can just go to a park. You can take real golf balls, you can take wiffle balls or rubber balls so that it's safe. And uh, I like to set up hula hoops, for example, as little greens, or little targets. Um, so, you know, you can make it fun. And you don't really need a golf course, and it's a nice practice that you can do yourself. So um, the plan is to warm up and warm up at home um, or, you know, in the park, whatever, not necessarily the golf course, but just kind of get your golf muscles, your golf swing, your tempo, the core, the micro core of your swing going in a really nice way, making solid contact, getting the ball up in the air, working on some distance control, things like that. So that's sort of the, the plan because that micro, you just add, you know, the put in the top of your backswing and the full follow through, and then you're back to your full swings. So, Right. Practice is so important, and being able to practice, uh, you know, in a sense on a daily basis or every other day, you can't just sort of go out cold like you were talking about, um, you know, CO, whoever it is. A lot of us are, do that, right? We get to the golf course five minutes before you're on the tee. And um, in general, I think it's really a good idea to be kind of grooving in your swing and having your golf muscles strong and flexible for your golf swing. You don't get injured. You perform better. So that's sort of the plan and being really proactive about that uh, because then you can take that to the driving range and the golf course and really kind of get yourself back up to speed in a good way. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And unfortunately, you know, as I said at the top of that question, we, we get a lot of our our folks that just don't do the, do the complete opposite. They don't prepare, they don't plan. Um, And, you know, this is where we have to, step in and help them to create a plan and more importantly encourage them i mean we certainly can't force anybody but you know encourage them to stick with that plan because they're not going to see improvement otherwise and another aspect <coughs> excuse me peter that i want you to touch on and that is when it comes to players understanding um, of their game and understanding what their strengths are what their limitations are and what their triggers are Understanding those very, very well, 
um, and what their current abilities are. And that doesn't mean there isn't always going to be room for improvement, but understanding where their game is at now, because there is only now. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. There's only now. So understanding their strengths and limitations and and what areas that they can you know, pull together to help build that confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Touch on that a little bit, um, if you wouldn't mind, helping a player understand and finding out how do they find what their strengths are? How do, they, how do you determine that uh, while working with your students and what their limitations are? It comes from, you know, past instances, you know, tapping into, you know, what they've done in life. You know, something that in golf is some relatable to real life for them, you know, especially in the beginning, um, even in points, other points of development, it's so much more important to relate back to real life. But, you know, as far as weaknesses go, I think it's important to understand them. But, you know, first, you know, I just don't, <clears throat> you know, I don't spend a whole lot of time on that as we're talking about their physicality, dressing, you know, their, their fun movement activities and, you know, and that type of act, we definitely spend time uh, working to address those. But it, it's something that we, you know, really give them the self-awareness of. But we try to really reinforce the strengths to their game that you know, we really emphasize on, you know, those aspects while we're addressing some of the points that need to be developed. Then just most importantly, we're looking at, you know, what they already have they do well as long as they're a regular golfer. A regular golfer is someone that plays golf on a regular basis. And uh, if they're not a beginner, already do have the capacity to hit good shots. And there's a, not often so why they're already hitting good shots. So we try to really embrace that as a big strength and put some context around. And that can really help them to gain confidence. Just understanding why that amazing shot want to repeat over and over flying away from them and and having that be the plan trying a bunch of different things right exactly and i think having sort of a benchmark if you will to work from um i think can can add to not only their strengths but um gives them an idea of a and that you can put together an effective plan from there and, and understanding and i think drawing out those strengths is something pete that, um, and I'm going back to uh, Pete Buchanan here, uh, comes with great coaching. Um, that's important as well when it comes to confidence is being matched with the right coach for you. Um, this is something that, you know, there's obviously, you know, there are a lot of great coaches and a lot of uh, great teach professionals out there, but um, one might not be as effective um, for you, um, let's say if you were the student, uh, as somebody else would. So talk about that. What's important when you're working with your students um, I know that uh, you've had, uh, as, as we all have had, some tremendous success. But um, sometimes it just does not, it just does not mesh. Um, talk about the importance of, of having that good relationship between coach and student. Well, it's definitely a, a big part of it. Being able to to put your your students at ease when they come in. One of the first things I always like to do is is I like to find out how their day's been. Um, I don't even talk golf when they first come up, you know, how you doing? How's the family, how the kids, what's going on? You know, how was your day? Um, you know, how was work, everything going along? Okay. Just to try to get them settled into, you know, moving into, to starting to work on their game and, you know, just trying to figure out where they are. 
Um, I think I told you that story before. I had a gentleman that came up for a lesson, and we talked about five minutes, and I said, let's go get a beer. This isn't going to – we're not doing this today because he had had mm-hmm. a day that I knew no, we wasn't going to work. So we just went sat and had a beer and talked off, so we didn't even hit any balls. And he said that was one of the best things I ever did. You know, but you just have to be able to understand your people a little bit, and, you know, know what they're all about. Um, ask questions. I ask a ton of questions. And my, my dad used to always call it the test, the, the question test. See, every time somebody said something, he'd answer them with a question. And so you can always get out uh, a lot of information and just to put them at ease. And, you know, like you said, they, they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. And we have to address both. Um, mm-hmm. But you also have to get them to understand how to play to their strengths because it's going to help them score better on the golf course and, and understanding what those are and not necessarily avoiding weaknesses. But if you have some in the, in your game and, and in the course of a round, you can play shots that will help you avoid some of that. Then you know, then that becomes a strength. Um, you know, when I played competitively, pitching was never one of my, my best parts of the game. So I just avoided it. I made sure I didn't hit it anywhere where I had to pitch it. So you know, uh, I knew how to do it. It just wasn't the strongest part of my game. So you can get to understand with them what their strengths are, how to how to really get them to come out while they're playing in the round. And I think that's really going to go a long ways to 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 making that happen. And, and you know, sometimes, as you said, you you get some personalities that clash. Hopefully, we, we don't have very many of those. I think over thirty six years, I might have had maybe two or three. Um, I, I think it's you know, I was I was taught how to how to teach people. And so um, I just haven't had very many over the years, but I, it does happen. And, and I think uh, the great coaches need to understand that as well. And sometimes you just have to part ways and say, Hey, you know, this isn't going to work. Um, but, you know, you do your best to try, try to put them at ease, try to get them to, to, you know, be relaxed. And I think the better they are that understanding, you know, and, and having a good time while they're having a lesson, I always want them to have a, have a good time. You know, you don't want to make it, you know, too much of work. Um, even though some of it is, I said, when they're on their own practice and that's work, but when they're there with me, I like them to, to enjoy what they're doing, have some fun. Um, it helps to build some more confidence and, and just get them to understand and, you know, really what they're trying to do. But, but also, and you know, me, I, I just try to keep it as simple as possible. And I, I think over the years, that's really helped me more than anything else is the, uh, you know, the, the longer I teach, the less I say. And so it's really become a, a, a strong point over the years you know, to figure out to, how to simply put the message across so you don't have to say very much and keep them at ease and, and keep them, you know, moving down the road toward where they want to get to. Right. And I think it also goes to, you know, for coaches, I think we we have to first and foremost be really good listeners. You know, we have to listen to our students. And that, that becomes, uh, I think, a big factor for a lot of um, students and some of the difficulties they may have with coaching. I think too often – and we're all, in some levels, we're all guilty to it to a certain point. We have our own methodology in some cases. Um, maybe we have our own ideas of what we uh, want to you know, impress or get across. And it may not necessarily be a good fit for that student. So we have to li- really listen to their needs and, and make an assessment based on what it is that they want, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and, you know, Cindy Miller, who, uh, you know, um, I've become friends with over the years, uh, co-hosting with her on the women of golf show you know always says the first question you know she asks is why and that is you know why do you want to play golf you know is it something uh, um you know that you're wanting to play competitive golf you know at a more professional level or even at a collegiate level 
uh, when she's dealing with some of her juniors, uh, or are you just wanting to go out and, and maybe play with a spouse or uh, with a group of friends? So understanding that, that why first, um, you know, gives you a better understanding as a coach, I think, when you understand why the, the person's there to begin with. Obviously, they're there to learn the game, but, you know, depending on what level they're, they're looking to play, um, is going to dictate how you're going to teach them. If they just want to get the basics and they just want to get out there and have some fun and they don't care whether they're, you know, necessarily breaking 100 every every week, um, but they just want to be able to go out and feel confident going around the golf course, that may be one approach. And if they want to be a little bit more servant, a little bit more proactive, as we've said tonight, um, then we're going to take a, maybe a slightly different approach. So um, those are some things that I think we, you know, we want our students to think about is getting matched up with the right person, um, that you're going to be working with because you're going to be working with them for a little while anyways, uh, depending on your needs and you want to make sure that there's a good relationship there. So well said, Pete. Um, Jamie, the other thing too, I think that is very, very important that we want to um, encourage and help our students. And that is to create a positive and supportive internal voice. Um, your own voice should be the most important uh, supportive and creative positive internal in environment and a negative voice can erode confidence uh, in your abilities and, and create doubt in your um, abil uh, capabilities as well. So talk about that. This is something that we have to work with our students in getting them to um, not just perform uh, the various tasks that we may have, but, but having that a positive internal dialogue. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, I so love that you are thinking about that, asking that question, and I'm grateful that I got that question, um, and I love the last, uh, all the wisdom in the last answer, um, so this is just really great. Um, you know, Ted I, I, and everybody, I will never forget a book I read. I love the whole book, but the title was perfect, and the title said, what, I think the title was like, um, what, do, what are you saying when you talk to yourself? <laughs> so, um, right. you know, it's all about self, self-talk. So that internal dialogue is our self-talk and, um, you know, kind of in a sense, only we hear it and it is the ways we talk to ourselves on the golf course, uh, sometimes just laying in bed at night. Uh, and um, it's so important that that voice, uh, that that self-talk is positive, is encouraging, it builds you up. You need to build yourself up from inside, not tear yourself down. Um, sometimes if you think about it externally, um, a, a teacher or a parent to a young child. And in a sense, we're all young children. Uh, it doesn't matter how old we are when we're learning. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we're, we're kind of tender. We're, our confidence and our self-esteem is definitely at stake. We're kind of judging ourselves all the time. And having a really harsh taskmaster, the old, you know, kind of whip them and beat them into shape or say, you know, God, that was terrible. You better blah, blah, blah. Isn't, it doesn't really elicit the best response. We mm -hmm. do better when we have, have encouragement, we have praise, we have uh, patience, we have the ability to, to do trial and error, to try this out and maybe not be uh, very good the first time or the first few times. And, you know, just have a learning process. Again, this word process is such a big one. Uh, things don't just happen, you know, just like that. It's, it's a process all the time. So our, we need to talk to ourselves in, uh, like a, our, our favorite best teacher or our parent when they're the, the most encouraging and helpful to us. 
And that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't notice, um, say, a fault or a mistake or something that's a weakness or we need to work on. But we do that in a way that's like that's in the context of supportive, of building up, of having room to learn. Um, So this sort of um, positive mental attitude uh, needs to be something inside it. You know, our inner critic is not the one that's going to help us uh, build our confidence and start to play and be our best. Um, there's another interesting facet to this, and that is, um, I don't know if you know some of the studies on water, that uh, water, and I, I bring that up because like 60, 70% of our bodies and our brains are made of water. And there was a Japanese doctor, Dr. Emoto, it's very famous, where he took pictures of water, for example, in Lake Erie when it was polluted, um, and then he got pictures of the crystalline structure of that water. And the polluted negative water was very ugly crystalline structures. And then really fresh mountain streams had gorgeous crystalline structures at a molecular level. Well, there was uh, some studies done where words were written on a bottle of water. And I mean, even a plastic bottle of water. So really positive words. You know, you're great. You can do it. Excellent. Good job. Keep going. Um, that, that love, all those sorts of positive words, and then negative words, you know, hate, ugly, terrible, bad, no good, um, uh, and just words written and taped on a bottle. And then they looked at the crystalline structure of those bottles of water. And the negative words created, uh, it caused that water to get kind of ugly uh, crystalline structures at a molecular level. And the opposite was true for the positive words. Uh, those those molecules were beautiful crystals. So I've taken that into uh, and applied it kind of as a you know psychologist here uh, or holistic psychology and positive psychology to our inner self talk, our inner game, and considering the fact that we are sixty to seventy percent water inside. So our self-talk is we're really affecting ourselves at that cellular and even molecular level. And then that translates into how well our body-brain system, nervous system, neuromuscular system starts to fire when we are making swings. Um, So, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff you can get into, but self-talk is just so, so important. And that's what becoming more kind of uh, masterful or why people meditate and mindfulness and, you know, build up. Uh, the ability to monitor our thoughts and to, to be more in control of our, our, our thoughts so that they are self-supportive. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when you think about over the years, and, and it's not just um, obviously in golf is, is what we're talking about here tonight, but in really every aspect of our lives, you know, when you're not um, internally confident with your dialogue it how it can change your patterns very easily how you um not just the way you think but how the way you carry yourself you see um quite often in in other areas of our lives where people have kind of been beaten down uh, verbally for whatever reason and you know their shoulders aren't pulled back they're kind of slumped over they look down on the ground and that so that internal dialogue is extremely important and it plays a key role in golf as well you know if you uh, and Peter, this is where I'm going to come to you on this one. Um, this goes to really how we focus on our game overall. When we compare uh, professionals on the tours compared to uh, many of our high handicap or amateur golfers, there's one distinct difference that I see. Obviously, one can hit the ball a little better than the other, but there's another. 
and that is tour players and, and high, uh, lower handicap players focus on their good shots, not the bad ones. Uh, and there's a reason for this. We've seen a lot of great ball strikers over the years, and you know when they've been interviewed and talked to, Ben Hogan comes to mind uh, very early on in his career, and he talks about how he actually only hit maybe five or six shots in a round that were really that great, and so he had many misses just like everybody else. But the difference was is that he focused on his good shots, and he, again, with that self-talk, he motivated himself to get out there and continue to play and didn't focus on every bad hole or every bad shot that he made. Um, this is another area as well that really stymies, I think, a lot of our amateur golfers. Maybe you could share some thoughts uh, on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Hogan, like any other great player, found reason to motivate themselves um, in anything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and they use self-talk um, very often to either take something that someone said, um, someone did, someone, you know, or maybe even sometimes some of the greatest, you know, competitors in sports history have made up things uh, mm-hmm. in their mind that's, you know, to motivate themselves to, you know, achieve or work as hard as they needed to to achieve what their their goals were and what they're looking to achieve. So uh, I feel as though self-talk is maybe the most important thing when it comes to uh, achieving for high performance at any level, um, whether you're a better player and you have a certain expectation or, you know, you're a beginning player and you have a certain anxiety about um, multiple aspects of, of playing golf, but yeah, it's it's something we talk about very often. Um, we talk about self-awareness. We talk. It's a big part of the conversation for sure. Yeah, and I think focusing on, you know, we often hear students that will come up to, you know, even the first tee, and will internally say to themselves, sometimes even externally, will say, "Well, you know, I didn't play too well last Saturday, so who knows what's going to happen on the golf course this week." And right away, they've set themselves, I think, up for failure because they're expecting to hit bad shots. We all hit bad shots. We know that. That's just part of the game. Um, and that's part of why we enjoy the challenge so much is to, to improve and to get better. But if we're constantly regurgitating, if you will, for lack of better words, that internal dialogue in a negative aspect, then we're never going to get over some of the hurdles. And you know, if you're taking all of that garbage, if you will, or, or as I like to use the analogy of dragging uh, baggage or luggage like you would at an airport, if you're dragging all that baggage from past rounds to your first tee or to your next round, um, you know, it's just too heavy and you're just not going to be able to do what you need to do. Um, I'm going to start back in this final question. This is the same for all of you. And just, uh, again, be mindful. We've only got a, a few minutes left and I want to give you guys an opportunity to uh, to let the folks know how to reach out. But I'd like you just, you know, in, in again, somewhat brief period of time, um, I want you to think back to when you first started out in golf yourselves as, uh, you know, as teacher professionals, because obviously, you know, it's a learning experience. Now, um, you know, we're all pretty seasoned and, and veterans, if you will, for lack of better words. Um, but we maybe didn't have a lot of confidence when we first started out. And uh, even though we passed all the things we need to do, um, so I want you to just basically describe a little bit about what you did for yourself to help gain more confidence uh, to become the teaching 
uh, professionals that you and coaches that you are. So, Pete, I'm going to start with you and Jamie and then Peter. Well, it's a simple one for me. Um, in, in my young teaching career, I was fortunate enough to be able to start working with the John Jacobs Golf Schools and John himself. If you want to talk about trying to build confidence, giving a presentation in front of John Jacobs, um, and that'll get you shaking in your boots a little bit. Um, and so, you know, that was that was a big, big break for me because it enabled me to be able to get into a system of teaching that, you know, was based on what John did and to be able to see some success right away working with the students and being able to, to have that system as a backdrop uh, in order to start learning what it was all about and then just trying to, to move on down the road and, and gain more knowledge and, and more confidence as I went along. But I think that was probably probably one of the biggest things. And then I did I did two VIP schools with John. It was just the two of us. Um, and it was, it was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened because each afternoon and evening um, I got to bend his ear um, and just talk golf and, and from – a to Z, everything they can imagine. And he was graceful enough to answer every question, and um, and he was always that way. But I think it was a, one of the biggest things for me to to be able to go from, you know, I was a pretty good player, and and I could get some success teaching some people, but I really wanted to learn how to teach, and so being in that environment, and, uh, and being around John himself as well was 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 really cool to see how he handled people. And not only just the way he went about, about teaching the game, not only for the students, but also teaching the teachers. And so I think for me, that was one of the, the big building blocks that got me started and uh, was probably the, the key thing uh, to pushing me to where I am today and how I teach today. And I can concur with you. Uh, very interesting. Thank you um, for sharing that. Um, you know, you can know as much as you want about golf but when you have to put it together in a presentation and you have to especially in front of somebody like like mr jacobs um yeah i can see it can be a little bit of a knee knocker at uh, at some point especially early on in your career um yep. but uh, great story and you know we all start somewhere and that's the thing is we we have mentors we have people who we've looked up to and have helped sort of guide our path if you will and uh, it may be one person, it may be multiple people that have uh, done that influence, but uh, we all have to start somewhere, and this is something that we have to try to instill with our students. Jamie, go ahead. You're next. Story is reminding me, uh, sorry, Mr. Jacobs, this reminds me of when I first started teaching ki golf, which is uh, kind of a, an approach I developed, was about 20 years ago, and I was invited to teach at a Midwest section, kind of a national event, actually, of the at the time, Executive Women's Golf Association, and their really big headliner instructor was Shirley Spork, who is mm-hmm. not only one of the 13 founders of the LPGA, it was through Shirley that the TNCP, the Teacher and Club Professionals Division, was started in 1959. It was really her doing, and uh, she just had her 93rd birthday. She is still teaching all of us. She's an amazing teacher and mentor. It's like she opens her mouth and teaching and wisdom comes out so, anyways, you know, of course, I, I you know, uh, you've talked to her, Ted. So, I, of course, mm-hmm. was there at this uh, EWGA event. Uh, I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, I remember, uh, at her clinic and, and everything that she was teaching. But then, you know, it was my turn, and she hung around and was watching me. <laughs> so, um, 
it, it was kind of a similar situation um, for me. And um, you know, fortunately, uh, I guess I did okay because we've become uh, very close friends uh, as a result of, of sharing, you know, passion for teaching. But, you know, for me, I started playing golf when I was seven, uh, way back when, before we had a lot of teaching or, you know, any junior programs or anything. Um, and then I, uh, when I was 20, 21, I started training in Aikido, Japanese martial arts, a nonviolent martial art of peace. And uh, I opened my own Aikido school when I was 25 in San Francisco. I was a, sort of a baby black belt. And I just, you know, all of a sudden was teaching. And I had to start studying the art of teaching because I had students and I was young. And <laughs> I was like, whoa. So, uh, and in Aikido, we have class five, six days a week. So I taught a lot. And in the course of that, I really kind of learned how to teach. So I came back to golf uh, probably when I was about 40 and um, went through the entire LPGA educational program, which is exceptional. The LPGA, thanks to Shirley and you know the, the pioneers who started it and all who continued since, has really made it their kind of mission to specialize in teaching uh, and in teaching pros how to teach. So I was very grateful for the educational. It's about seven-year experience to get to Class A Pro uh, through the LPGA educational program. And, um, you know, fortunately, I was able to sort of marry my experience and, and knowledge and my teaching experience in Aikido, um, you know, because I think we learn by doing, just like we learn uh, or we gain confidence, excuse me, by doing. And uh, so, you know, I had a, a big teaching background, but then really putting that together with golf, um, and having opportunities to teach, and and I think it's good for us to be in front of people who make us nervous or who make us raise our game, um, and that's that's true all the time for building confidence. We might feel our knees knocking, we might feel nervous, um, and at the same time, I think it really builds our confidence muscle to to be challenged in those ways. And most of us, I think, rise to the occasion. And based on that, our confidence level starts to build and go up through experience and, you know, kind of uh, passing through some trials by fire like that. Yeah, I, I uh, agree. And great story. Um, and I concur um, with what you said with uh, about Shirley. She definitely not only was uh, one of the founders, but has been a pioneer in many, many aspects along the way and was certainly uh, somebody, uh, I think, very well-deserved uh, of her accolades, but also somebody um, to certainly look up to and, and admire in, in what she did, not only as a player, but as a teacher uh, along the way and how she inspired so many um, um, women and, and men as well, but uh, particularly women of the LPGA. And uh, it's good to see her still around. Um, Peter, what about you? Um, when you started out uh, some years back, obviously, uh, you know, confidence was a little bit less than what it is today, and you've done some great strides, not only as a coach and a teacher, but uh, also in your business side of, uh, in, in the golf uh, world as well. You've expanded and so forth. What was some of the pivotal moments, if you, if you would mind sharing, um, that helped gain your confidence along the way? Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. It was a long time ago. I mean, I turned professional at 19, started, you know, teaching at that point. And, you know, the smartest thing I did at that point was just listen. I was very fortunate to be around a lot of very smart people that were, you know, obviously older than I was and much more, you know, experienced in, in really every field. You know, in golf, we're, we're very fortunate as 
you know, professionals and, and coaches and, and teaching professionals to be generally around people have been exceptionally uh, successful in business or whatever their venture is. And, you know, a lot of times I've just benefited the most from being quiet and listening mm-hmm. and, and not, not interrupting and giving them the time to speak. And a lot of times you can take little, little nuggets from everyone and you, you start to make your own patchwork of what your either, you know, coaching ethos is your, 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 your identity as a business person, your identity more as even in my case, an adult. Um, so I think my advice for any coaches out there that, you know, no matter what age you might be, uh, be willing to listen before you talk and to take whatever you want from that conversation and see where it might fit in your own, you know, or if it adds a different lens for you to see through. So mm-hmm. that's the best of, that's the best thing I've done. Um, the best advice I can give is to just be quiet, listen, and see if there's the capacity to see through a different lens. Well said. Um, and uh, I think you're exactly right. You know, I think that we have to, as I mentioned earlier, we have to be good listeners as coaches, not just for our own benefits, um, but for our students as well. And I think that the better teachers and the better coaches out there um, are much better listeners than they are talkers. Um, and what I mean by that is they are able to, when they do speak, speak with a confidence and with an ability that gets the message across without having to um, necessarily go on and on and on for hours, number one, but also be able to hit right on the mark each and every time because they've taken the time to listen to their students very carefully to what their needs, what their wants, and what their desires are. And have maybe... Uh, in some cases, have been able to relatively quickly come up with a plan um, that the student can execute to reach the goals and the desires and the um, outcomes that they're they're looking for. And I think that's what really defines it. And you know, whether we get it from one person or a multitude of of people, I think it's um, very very important. I, I know you all touched on this is really to listening to people who were in a position that were a little bit more advanced than what we were um, have helped us to grow in our profession. And obviously, um, you know, we might emulate in some ways, but we kind of make it our own. And uh, we take uh, some good points from each of the people that have come along the way and uh, have allowed us to, as Peter, as you put, is is look through a different lens. And um, I think that helps us all the way around. I'm going to give you guys a few moments. Jamie, I'm going to let you go last because I know you have something special that you want to uh, mention here before we go off air uh, for the panel. But... Um, so uh, Pete, and then Peter, and then Jamie. Pete, uh, how can the folks reach out to you? They can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. The plain is P-L-A-N-E. All my contact information's out there. So, uh, you know, all the different social media links are there. So just hit the page, and you'll find everything you need. Perfect. Um, Peter? Peter, I'm not sure if you got your mic. Um, Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Um, 
No problem. No, people can reach me at um, gonpi.org. Um, if uh, most of my my handles on social, especially Instagram, where I'm most active, is uh, at Daily Golf Coach. So, thanks for having me on, Ted. It's it's always great to be here with you. Well, I appreciate it, uh, both Pete and Peter. Thank you very much. Uh, Jamie, quickly, how the folks can reach out to you, and then I know you have uh, something that you want to mention that you've got cooking on the weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ted. Um, and thanks to everybody. This was just a, a wonderful um, discussion. Uh, people can reach me at uh, my website, which is kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I, golf.com. It will actually link you to the centeredway.com, same website, kiigolf.com. Uh I always say this, but I, I'm a talker. I like to talk on the phone, so 760-492-GOLF, 4653. 760-492-4653 uh, is a great way to reach me, and, of course, the website, kiagolf.com. And uh, thank you, Ted. I would like to invite everybody. I'm teaching a special virtual Kiai Golf Mastery School, and it starts on Saturday. It will be five days. Saturday, Sunday, we'll take off for Memorial Day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, West Coast time, it's 9 to 10.30 in the morning, an hour and a half each day. Um, do the math for your other time zones. And uh, it's really going to be very rich, very full. We've got some pros coming and people from Canada, different places around the country. And we'll be covering all areas of the game. And uh, I'm a very holistic person, so we're going to be looking at body, mind, golf fitness, uh, swing patterning people have never seen, um, uh, understanding what I call the energy facts of life and golf, um, uh, the mental game, mental, emotional, self-mastery, rising to lower scores, integrated course management. So we'll be covering a lot of things and we'll be doing, uh, even though it's virtual, there'll be a lot of uh, on our feet, experiential learning as well as uh, information. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of good discussion because we have such a variety of players as well as pros who will be attending. Um, and it's, so, you know, right off the bat, it's $99, kind of less than the price of one lesson. And uh, I think it's going to be a great experience and would certainly love to invite uh, anyone to join in. Pretty easy to find under events on my website. Okay, so they go to your website and then under events, that's where they can register. Yeah, yeah they can register under right. events and it should be pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, okay. um, for that. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. Well, Pete, Peter, and Jamie, thank you very much, as always, uh, for bringing your best here on the Coach's Corner panel. I enjoyed tonight's discussion. And hopefully, um, for those of you tuning into the show, have um, learned some valuable tips on, on how to build up your confidence as you uh, get out of this sort of um, a, a, a pandemic hibernation, if you will, and get out there. Be safe, first and foremost, uh, no matter where you go. But if you're venturing out this weekend, um, uh, to do various th- things and particularly play some golf, um, you know, just take it easy and realize that, uh, you know, you're not going to be mastering the golf course necessarily the first time out if, it's, if that's your first time. So take uh, heed to some of the tips that we talked about here on confidence. Get out there, warm up, practice. Don't show up five minutes before your tee time. Get out there a few minutes early if you're able to practice. And if not, practice a little bit around the house. Do some putting drills and so forth. There's lots of great stuff. You can reach out to any one of the folks here and um, doing so. So thanks, guys. Uh, as always, and I'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great uh, holiday weekend, and thank you, as always, for your time. You too, Ted. Thanks. Thank Wonderful. Thank you, thank you, everybody, and thank you, Ted. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, Pete Buchanan, uh, Peter Agazarian, and Jamie Leno-Zimron, uh, a great group of uh, folks that been on the show for the last several years 
we've, uh, as most of you that have followed the show for any length of time, have been uh, following the Coach's Corner panel segment. We've had a lot of great uh, teach professionals and coaches along the way, and uh, we always try to have a lively uh, discussion, talk about uh, different things. And I chose the discussion we talked about uh, building confidence uh, for a, a couple of reasons. One, I thought it was a uh, appropriate for this time right now in in our history when we're you know dealing with this with this pandemic and a lot of things going on. So people have been kind of hunkering down, if you will, in their home or um, uh, you know in in some sort of uh, quarantine and uh, are just slowly but surely in, in many places are able to get back out and, and do some things. And uh, so our confidence level maybe isn't quite as good. So we did about that. And then also my very special guest tonight, who I'm going to introduce now, and I will bring him out. Uh, John Taylor is a performance mind coach, and he's also an NLP master practitioner. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. I'll bring him out, and then we'll get him to explain uh, a few things uh, along the way. Uh, John has uh, joined the uh, uh, military uh, in the UK in uh, January of 1995. He was 17 years old. Uh, his first deployment was in Bosnia, and during that time as a professional soldier, he uh, remained focused on developing his leadership skills and never stopped learning about what it takes to succeed. Uh, highlights of uh, his service was in 2006 when he worked teaching, guiding, and coaching young men and women as recruits to become the next generation of soldiers. Uh, he left the forces in 2010, and shortly afterwards, uh, as many have become diagnosed with PTSD, uh, he struggled to find his way uh, through life for a while and while facing uh, some of the horrible memories that he experienced. Um, but in 2011, he uh, discovered NLP, which is Neuro Linguist Programming. We'll get him to explain again more of that. Uh, this helped him become more grounded and install some coping strategies. Uh, it uh, had such an impact on John that he went on to become an NLP Master Practitioner. Uh, and of course, uh, he loves this great game that we enjoy, um, golf. He's been playing at a very young age uh, as he was introduced by his father, who was also a former military, uh, and he's been playing ever since. So we're going to talk about a little bit about his background, and then we're going to talk about what he's doing um, now with his career and how he might be able to help some of you golfers that are tuning into the show tonight. So please let me welcome my very special guest, and it's in the wee hours over in the UK, uh, John Taylor. Good evening or, or morning, I guess, depending on how you look at it, John. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hi, Ted. Um, yeah, it's 1 a.m., so uh, the family's <laughs> in bed. I've, I've sort of come down, and uh, I've just been listening to Coach's Corner there and the panel that you just had on. And um, firstly, I'd like to thank you for your kind words of that introduction and for allowing me to come on and talk about them kind of things and where I'm at now. And um, it's uh, the, the the guys that you, and the girls that you just had on there, you know, Pete, Peter and Jamie, absolutely phenomenal yep. in terms of what they've done. You know, I, I had a little read of their profiles. Um, I didn't really know too much about them. You know, this is all this is all new to me. And um, some of the th- some of the work that they're doing, you know, with Jamie talking about being, you know, like water. Um, one of Bruce Lee's sayings is, "Be like water, because it always finds its way." You know, and the body, that's what it's made up of. And the way that she comes across with her language and she communicates holistically, that's the kind of things that I'm I'm doing with my clients as well. And, yeah, absolutely brilliant to listen to to them talk about, you know, the confidence and how they communicate with their their, their future generation of golfers. It's brilliant. But, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate just having this time. 
Not a problem, and, and I appreciate uh, you uh, taking this time. As, as you mentioned, it's 1 o'clock in the morning there, so I know it's very, very in the wee hours. And for you, I know it's not a problem, but uh, as you mentioned, the rest of the family have have uh, gone to rest for a little while, so we'll try to we'll try not to get too loud and rowdy uh, on the show here and wake anybody up. But I appreciate it, John, uh, as always, and thank you for for joining me um, on on Golf Talk Live. I want to very quickly just talk about some things, um, just so that we can kind of set up for our discussion. As I mentioned at the top, um, introducing you that uh, you you joined the uh, the military uh, some years ago. And uh, I'm assuming, you know, as I mentioned a little bit later on in the, in the intro, uh, your father was also military. So was that just a decision you, you sort of followed in his footsteps, or was that just something that you had a sort of a, a desire to do yourself? I think growing up in a military family, and at, and at that time, we constantly moved around. So I think I attended about nine different schools, lived in eight different countries, it was every two years. I just remember packing up and we on the move. And so to, and I think that's installed a little bit of flexibility in my thinking. And, and I'm and I'm okay with change. I think because of that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you just end up in that cycle, and you think, you know, it was about when I was about 13 years old. Uh, we moved back to our hometown in Newcastle, the northeast of England, where both my mother and father are from. And um, I finished my high school days. But constantly moving, having to make new friends, learning about new transport timings, you know, different routes to school. And every school that you go to, they're all at different educational standards. So you could literally be, you know, learning quite high education in one school and then you could go and you could be a little bit behind or you could be in front in certain topics. I was definitely good at geography. I knew that because of the amount of moving that we've done. <laughs> so I was okay with, with, with knowing where I was, I suppose, in life. Um, and, and, that's, and again, that served me served me well and um, so then naturally I just fell into um, joining the military at 17 you know left school and uh, applied I was actually I got knocked back the first time I passed all the physical tests passed all of the you know the, the assignments that you need to get into the military and I was I was I was quite underweight at the time I was still you know 16 years old I didn't have much meat on the bones and they said can you just go away and bulk up a little bit and become a little bit more robust so that was quite a big setback and um, one of the things that I teach is is about resilience and being able to deal with things that happen to you in life and how do you bounce back from that and that was probably my first upset moment and I come back from the the weekend away you know and and I said to my mother I'm not I'm not going this time I've got to go away and train and a little bit stronger and come back with a bit more robust and off I went and just got a, a mechanics job and then used to run across the bridge every day to work and just get really fit and then I went back and passed and at 17 there I was on the train heading towards the the training establishment um, which is actually the film Full Metal Jacket, I don't know if you're familiar with that with Stanley Kubrick yes. is, uh, it's a, it, it was filmed at the same place where I'd done my training, a place called Bazinbourne in Cambridge um, but they put palm oh, wow. trees up at the time, but there's definitely not palm trees there. So, uh, no. <laughs> um, so that's where I've done that. Uh, and the film Mem- Memphis Bell, I think, with um, Mel Gibson, that was filmed in the same place. Oh, okay. But so yeah, oh, that, wow. was, that was my that was my first ever day of um, training, and I remember turning up along with another, you know, 48 other guys who were in the similar position from all over the country in different parts of the world. 
all doing right. the same thing, part mm-hmm. of my military journey, I think. I, I'm sure it was it was probably much different um, your experience than what Hollywood made it with uh, with those two movies. I'm sure they, as you mentioned, with the palm trees and and so forth. I'm sure it was quite a different experience and a different look for you. Um, I have just very quickly, and because I don't want to take up your time, but I want to mention because you hit upon something that I can relate to. I was, um, of course, I'm not sure if you gathered it or not, but uh, I was born and raised in Canada. I live in the U.S. now, but. Um, so I was in our military for five years, uh, not as long as you were in yours, but uh, and I uh, was stationed at Halifax, Nova Scotia. But an interesting part that you mentioned in the very early part was when I went for my uh, initial entry, uh, passed all of the exams. But I was like you was uh, I was a little bit underweight, a little bit thin. I was always thin uh, growing up. And uh, when I went for my physical, they said I needed to come back in a few weeks, and uh, they'd have to give me another one, otherwise I couldn't get in. And uh, I literally, the day when I went back for my physical, the second time, I actually, um, my mother happened to, to drive me that time, and I was 17 like you when I got in, and I actually had two rolls of quarters in each pocket, in addition to eating uh, a bunch of ice cream and drinking a big two-liter bottle of soda before I went in, just to add extra weight, and I think I just made it by something like one-tenth of a pound or something in the and the woman that had me on the scale basically wow. laughed, and she said, "Well, normally you know you'd have to strip down for this, but she said I'm going to help you out. You can leave your clothes." And I said, "Good," because I said I got four rolls of quarters mm-hmm. in my pocket. So um, <laughs> she, we had a good laugh over that. So we had a very similar uh, entry into uh, our, our military career. But I want to I want to move on a little bit here because you spent obviously 15 years. Uh, you rose to the rank of sergeant. And uh, obviously had uh, many multiple tours, uh, including Afghanistan and others. And uh, obviously, you you know, that's something that um, for those that have never experienced that kind of thing, don't understand exactly what um, many of the soldiers and both men and women have had to deal with. Um, did that take mm-hmm. a toll both physically and mentally, your time at some of your deployments? And maybe just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I suppose um, well, well done on, on, on getting through with um, some money in your pocket as well. That's, that's a good thing. Um, so you, you got into it, and, and then five years that you're done, I can imagine you, you, you learn stuff along the way like we all do. And I think when you're at such a young age, you're just mm-hmm. absorbing everything that's in your path. You just, you're in this motion, aren't you? You're just learning, developing still. You're, still, you're not fully developed. You're, growing, you know, you're going from teenager to a man. Um, and it was 17 we deployed to Bosnia and I remember like the year before I was in school and then literally a year later I was walking around villages that had been you know um, bombed and ethnic cleansed which is you know horrific to see but with a rifle in my hand at 17 thinking this is a bit strange last this time last year I had a pen and I was and I was doing math and, and and in English so a shock to the system, but you you soon learn to um, fit in with your team. Everybody knows their role. You start to learn, you know, courage to be brave. Um, it, it it sends you to you know different realms of thinking. The preparation, you know, you spoke about preparation before on the panel. The military is out right. there. It preps you for these things, but then when you physically do them, are you are you are you 100% ready for them situations? A little bit like golf, you know, you prep yourself, 
you do all of the training, you do all the muscle memory stuff, your nutrition's good, you, you're feeling the vibe, you, your confidence is up there, and as soon as you cross that line, you're on that first tee, like a boxer going into the ring or a footballer going into the court, you, you're in business, you're doing your job, you know, you're in your office, and when you train hard enough and when you put yourself in that position, you don't really think about what it can do to you because you're just doing the thing that you're training to to be. And right. I'm, I'm I'm completely thankful for every single skill that I learned within the military, and, and it's serving me well now and 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 today. So it's brilliant. Yeah, and and, and uh, I can say this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's perfect. No, you answered it uh, brilliantly. You know, and that was the same for me. I mean, obviously, I didn't go to Afghanistan or or Bosnia. Um, and uh, most of mine was, was during peacetime, but you do learn a lot of skills, um, especially at 17 years old, when you're, you know, firing weapons for the first time and, and you're feeling that just the, the raw power of it, it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, it's exciting on one hand, but it's a little bit surreal when you think about the, the, some of the firepower that they're putting into your hands at that age. And then having to take that, and then you know being deployed, and and you know basically being required and responsible for other people in addition to yourself, uh, it it's quite a lot for somebody to handle. Yeah. And obviously, and I wanted to touch on one more thing before we 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 sort of shift gears here, because I, I'm what I want to do, John, is I want to kind of lay the foundation for for the bulk of our discussion tonight, because I want people to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, but as a result of, yeah. of your many years of of um, military training and, and obviously deployments, um, you develop PTSD, which many people have heard that uh, expression before, but perhaps mm-hmm. are not really uh, familiar with what it actually means and what it is. Um, so can you maybe explain to the listeners just a little bit, just briefly, um, so they can understand what PTSD is? So post-traumatic stress, it can be built up over one significant event or can be built up over a, a number of years of how you interpret the world or how you see and feel and respond to situations that have happened by what you do. And so people can get PTSD from being in a car crash or a relationship or being bullied in, in certain ways. Um, it, it, it's a traumatic event that can happen over time or it could be one significant event. And what's interesting is that when there's, a, when there's an incident that happens either in the military or in life or in the emergency services and there's witnesses that see that event, the, the police will actually separate the two witnesses because they'll get a different version of what they've seen. So everybody responds differently to one situation. So me and you, Ted, we could see the same thing. You know, we could... We could um, see an accident happen in front of our eyes, but we could actually physically respond to that incident and we could be okay with it. And then five, six years down the line, something might happen that could trigger that memory and then drop you into that state and, and right. anchor you into that place and, and, and then recreate the thing that might have happened. So the symptoms that are linked, there's, 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 there's hundreds of symptoms linked out there to, towards PTSD. You know, you, you can become isolated, lack of confidence, um, sleepless nights, you know, you could have traumatic dreams, uh, night mm-hmm. terrors, them kind of things. So there's different, and people respond differently depending on what the situation is. And for me, that's one of the things, it was probably a little bit of what I'd seen in Bosnia at such a young age, but more a little bit what I'd seen in Afghanistan. It was a little bit 
how right. you would fight or flight situation. So when your life's threatened or you feel like something might happen, you drop into this flight or fight mode. And there's also flight or fight and freeze. So we do the three things. And what happened was when I left the military, you were away from all of your comrades, all of your brothers, you've got nobody to talk to and you feel alone. And that's really, it just hit home and, and, I, and, I, and I struggled. And I reached out to a guy who was ex-military and he was using NLP as a therapy to help veterans recover from post-traumatic stress. And I was fortunate enough to knock on his door and seek help. And then we've done eight or nine sessions. We've done a bit of time code intervention, which is a bit hypnotic. It's quite mindful. It's looking at the situation from a dissociated point of view, so there's no attachment. And he, and he realized that, you know, it had such an impact on me that, that I want to go away and train to support other veterans. And that's how I sort of ended up in the NLP world through, through suffering. So explain just for the folks, again, for those that are not involved in it, and just so they have a better understanding. I mean, you touched on a little bit, but um, as you mentioned, you got out of the military in, in around 2010, and about a year later, um, you discovered through um, this gentleman um, NLP, which is, again, stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Explain what exactly that is. What does it mean um, so NLP was that terminology and, and what's involved in it. There's some sessions with him. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, Ted, you just broke up a little bit there, so I don't know if I'll jump in too early, but yeah. And NLP was discovered in the late seventies in the US and it was to model excellence. It was it was to look at they took the best business coaches, they took people in sales, they took relationship counselors, psychotherapists and the started modeling what they were doing with our clients and they picked up this language and they created the NLP. The neural part is your sensory, your primary sensory and how you learn through visual, through um, touch and through sound. And how do we, and we all learn in different ways. We all, we've all got stronger primary sensories. You know, I'm, I learn through listening, repeating back and practicing. Some people have to learn by seeing and doing. Some people just have to learn by feeling. And if you think golf, the same, isn't it? People just get a, a good feel of the club. They get a good feel for the shot or they like to hear the sweet spot. Did you hear that? And, the, and people will use different language depending on what their key driving and learning is. And then the linguistic part is about language and how we communicate both internal and external, but not just with words, but also our physiology, so our presence, so non-verbal communication. And the panel spoke about before about being a good listener. Now, if you can be a good listener but be present, you're actually communicating with your clients in a non-verbal way by just being being present. And you know, the majority of communication is actually non-verbal. It is just how we are, and that's why you know your posture is important. That's why the way that you come across is 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 really key. And the programming part is about behaviors, which is linked to emotions, so our emotional states. And that's, it's had, it, it, you know, it, it's got really nice ways of feeding through how we can just perform. And people like Louis Oustazen, you know, South African golfer, is a big advocate of NLP, and him and his wife study and practice NLP. And then at the time in 2011, because it had such a profound impact on me personally, it changed my 
perspective, I suppose, in the world and give me some coping strategies. And my love of golf, I was like, said to myself, I had this eureka moment. I wonder if I could actually go and start using this in the golfing industry. And at the time, I actually started working for the charity. So I gave three or four years helping veterans, helping them with anxiety, depression, and helping them get over their horrors of war, I suppose, and getting them to a better place. And then in 2015, I decided just to take a leap of faith and set off on my journey doing um, NLP in the golfing world. And, and this is where I am now, five years later, doing what I love. And you do a lot of things, which, which is really interesting, and I want to want to talk uh, about some of them. You know, obviously, NLP has, has something that has helped you um, cope with, as you mentioned, um, as a result of, of your military experience and the things that you've learned and have been taught along the way utilizing NLP, as you said, has, has sort of flicked that switch and said, okay, you know, I love the game of golf. How can I apply what I've learned here? And uh, you've obviously uh, put some things together. And over the last, you know, number of years, you've worked with professional amateur golfers uh, to help support them on and off the golf course um, with, you know, being uh, mindfulness and emotional technique. So, just give us an example. I know it's very difficult um, when you don't have a, a per se a, a student handy, but um, give an example of maybe some of the issues that golfers typically have and what some of the things through your training and techniques as a master NLP practitioner, what are some specific things that you're doing that's helping golfers handle some of those various situations? Maybe give us a couple of examples, how they're handling it um, with some of the skills that you're uh, utilizing and helping and teaching them. Yeah. The, the, Entwining NLP into what I've learned throughout the years with the mentoring and guiding and becoming a coach in the military about what it takes to become successful. The NLP, I think, is just the, the springboard or the foundation of what I use. But a lot of my work is really, like they said on the panel before, it's about getting to know the individual, so what kind of family life that they've got, what do they do off the course, what kind of things makes them tick, what are they interested in, what what kind of behaviours do they run, what patterns do they use. And just by explaining to people about how emotions work or how your character is or how you behave is is a is a is a bit different way than trying to get something from A to B. So when people start to portray different types of emotions like frustration or they might be a little bit angry that they can't get to a certain position or they, or they can't reduce the scores that they want to, it's asking how they behave that way or why they do what they do and what impact that has on the whole system. And it's, allowed, it's like the onion effect, you know, you peel away the layers and eventually find the root cause and you fix that and things happen. But people aren't broken and people sometimes turn up and think that they are. Um, so mm -hmm. I trained in NLP therapy, but I mainly really coach people and guide them to, to better mental fitness, to become a little bit more present, teach them about what mindfulness means, teach them how to do a little bit of meditation properly, teach them how to just become that all-round character, that individual, their identity, 
focusing on them areas. So then when it does eventually come to playing them killer shots or they're in them stressful situations or they haven't been in that position before, because they practice and understand how to manage their emotions, they can then deal with situations better in the future. And this comes in through your program that you've launched uh, called What's in the Bag. And that's essentially what it is, is a guide to better mental fitness. Um, you've touched on some things, generally what you do with that and, and how you handle it with, your, with students. What are some common scenarios that you've come across? You've worked with, as you mentioned, professionals and amateur golfers alike. And just let me preface this a little bit. You know, many of the professionals that we see on tour, as an example, um, most of them go to what we refer to, some people don't like to use this terminology, but a mental coach. Uh, many of them have, many of the best players in the world have a mental coach. And I don't imagine it's just to, uh, to have somebody to talk to, per se, but it's obviously to help put them in this a, a, a mindset, if you will, to be able to go out there and, and, and uh, navigate around tour a little more effectively. So this is essentially what you're doing, is you're acting as a mind coach or mental coach, if you will, um, for golfers at various levels um, through your program. Is that generally the idea? Yes. It, it's becoming the go-to guy. And people that come to me now that I'm finding, firstly, I know within the first 15 minutes of an assessment, that's what they really want to do. Do they want to be accountable for their actions? Because I'm pretty tough when it comes to that kind of thing. Because is, is this what you really want? <laughs> what is your why? Right. You know, are, are you going to waste my time? And I don't, you know, the, the biggest gift that you can give somebody, Ted, is time and space. And that right. is a precious thing. But we have to learn to give ourselves that as well as people. And in this busy world, we forget how to do that because we get caught up in trying to look at the next technique or the, the next best thing, or we compare ourselves with the things that are going on on social media. There's that much information around us at the moment. It can become overwhelming, I think. And the, the, if I can speak to people in, in a calm and relaxed manner and bring them into a different way of approaching situations. So some of the things that I get asked is, um, why why do I get so frustrated when I've when I know that I've got the ability to do something? And I'm, we go back to well, you've committed to the thing that you want to do. Let's think about how you can now respond to why you feel that way. Because life is about response rather than doing. You know, we are human beings as well, so we have to be rather than do. And you. Know, Everybody comes to me with completely different visions, completely different goals, completely different aspirations. And it's my job to align myself with that person's vision because it's theirs and then work right. with their model of the world and then work on a plan of action to get them to the required standard that they want to be. You know, John, what's interesting uh, about that, and, and I agree 100% with what you just said, I think for the professionals, obviously, have come to understand that as as we in the golf industry learn more and hear more and and see more of what's going on, it's very easy to understand why so many professionals turn to somebody like yourself in, in helping them 
uh, cope, not just out in the golf course, but even off the golf course and, and decompress, if you will, in some ways. Because, um, you know, I don't think we as, as amateurs or as um, outsiders appreciate the level of pressure that these guys and gals put themselves under when they're out in the golf course. They think, well, you know, a lot of times people think, well, they're out there having four rounds of fun. Uh, but that we know that's not the case. I mean, it's it's very high pressure. They're playing for a lot of money. They're playing in front of, you know, thousands of fans physically or in person, but, you know, millions uh, when it's telecast on TV. Um, but for the amateurs, they don't understand the necessity. You know, when they think, when, when they're coming to the lesson tee to see me, they're thinking, well, you know what, I just want to fix this slice, and I want it to, but they don't realize the importance of the mental side of the game or the mind side of the game and how that plays a key role. That, in your opinion, would you agree, is a more important role than actually the physical side? 100% I agree with you, Ted, that we sometimes live in a bit of a backward society and we become results-driven and we look at the new next shiny object and we think that that's going to be able to slice or do the thing that we need to. But first and foremost, we have to become anchored to our position in that point, in that moment, to be able to play the best golf. To say playing your best golf in the call about this thing that we step into, the zone. But you've got to be able to step in and out of that zone as well because it's quite tiring to be full heightened physically and mentally for four hours going around the golf course. So you've got to be able to adapt and be flexible and be like water, as, as we said before, you know, it finds its way. And I think that if you've got the right attitude and you've got the right belief system and you, you're running the right patterns and you're talking to yourself properly and you're using internal dialogue and you're, and you're absorbing and you're responding to situations. And Rory McIlroy is amazing the way that he talks about, you know, he, he says that he now meditates the night before a big competition, but the way that he's just so humble about the whole, everything that he does in golf is down to his parents and how they had to work jobs and and being grateful and having gratitude and and golf courses are also mindful places they're beautiful and some people forget to stop and just look around and even just by bringing your breathing to a certain way or Mm -hmm. relaxing your state of mind it can that fix slices can that help you physically and mentally perform better i think it can and it, it it does some people end up chasing the wrong tool rather than having to, but you can practice being mindful every day for right. you know, a couple of minutes and, and every waking hour, you can just literally sit there and plonk yourself on the settee or sit on a meditation mat. But you don't have to be meditating to be mindful, but you can be mindful of the things that you're putting in your mouth, mindful of where you're standing, mindful of the things people are saying around you. And if you practice your mind to be that way, you become then more mindful and better at doing the thing that you want to do. I couldn't agree more. And just to, to add a, a quick note, um, you know, I was at the PJ Merch show back in January of this year and, uh, you know, looking at uh, a lot of the latest equipment out there. And it goes to the point you made is, you know, everybody's looking for the, the latest and greatest shiny thing. And, you know, I've always said to, to students, I've said, you know, I would rather you, whether it's with me or somebody else, I would rather you take that $400 that you're planning on spending on that new driver and getting some good quality lessons to learn how to use the tool better than spending that money on a club, hoping that it's going to fix and, and, and 
solve all the and cure the problems that you're facing out in the golf course. And I would probably expand that to say to work with somebody like yourself and get to the root of the problem because a lot of times it's not that the person doesn't know how to swing the golf club, but they've got so much junk going on in their head that by the time it's, as I mentioned earlier, if you heard that part or not, it's like going to the airport, they're dragging three or four bags of luggage to the terminal. It gets heavy. And they're doing the same thing in the golf course. They're thinking about the rounds that they played last week or, you know, with their foursome uh, the previous weekend and they're taking that to the first tee. So I would rather than spend that money and work with you know a, a mind coach like yourself and decompress and get rid of some of those thoughts so that when they're going to that first tee, they're only thinking about one thought, and that's putting it out to wherever their target is and not thinking about all the bad things that happened the weeks before. And that's something I know that you uh, work with all the time with, with your students. I, I want to fast forward a few more years, and I want to come up into June of 2019 uh, John, you had the opportunity uh, to meet and work with uh, Dr. Joseph Parent, who is the author of uh, Zen Golf and obviously a keynote speaker. Uh, he's been a big inspiration to you as well uh, in helping you uh, uh, pave your way. And um, what would you like yeah. to say about uh, jo- Joseph? Well, Dr. Joe, I think... Well, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share with you the story on how I ended up meeting Dr. Joe, how I reached out to him. But you mentioned about the PGA show there, and I just want to quickly uh, thank Jackie uh, Arnick, who who you met at the PGA show, who yep. you had a conversation for me to be up to be on this show tonight, and I'm grateful mm-hmm. for that. And you know, you're a big big advocate of um, next links with David Schultz as well. I met David in 2015 at the PGA show. He's ex-Navy, I'm ex-military. We went for a burger. He was telling me his plans and we headed off from day one. And I've aligned myself with David's vision in growing the game of golf and putting a smile on people's faces. And if we can play golf with that energy, with that vibrational frequency, with just that sense of love towards the game, then we can grow it in a different way, you know, and David's creating this indoor golf and entertainment system that is going to create an entry point where people can just go and have fun and enjoy golf because the numbers were on a decline. We can't get away from that. And because of the right. situation and golf now being one of the sports that we can't play again, hopefully that number will start to increase. But then I got caught up a little bit in different parts and got in different projects using virtual reality with golf and things like that. And it was only last year that I decided to come back to my original purpose was that I set off to do coaching in golf and on the mind. And this is what I wanted to do. And personally, I got sidetracked with different projects. And I listened to a TED talk and it was about asking for help. And this mm-hmm. woman said that if you were going to ask for help, there's, there's four things you should do. One, don't just ask your buddy down the road to, you know, um, to move a set E and there's 20 20 pound thank you very much and if you're going to ask for help make sure that you don't do it don't do it on a text message or an email but pick up the phone and use the phone as a telephone and actually physically ask the person and the third thing is that make sure that you're direct with that help that you want so can you lend me um, 100 pounds so i can do a coaching course which will then allow me to go off and train so i can help others or can you give me a list of this interview because i'm stuck and the fourth thing mm-hmm. is, is that if you go back to that person and tell them that that impact that the help has had, 
the gratitude for it, it sends this energy wave and it keeps that continuity going. So you go back mm-hmm. to the person, oh, thank you so much for lending me the £100 this happened. So I listened to this TED talk and I was sitting on the bus and I was going to work. And then I've read Dr. Joe's book, Zen Golf Master in the Mental Game, um, from front to back. And it's not really about golf. Golf is the platform, but it's about you as a person, as an individual. What you do off the course right. is, is fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. And I've actually um, printed off what I wrote to Joe. I, I, I sent him a message because I couldn't ring him up because I was in the UK. So I went against one of the rules from the TED Talk. And um, <laughs> I was like, Dead, um, hi, Dr. Joe. I trust all as well. I listened to a TED Talk this morning, and it was talking about asking for help. And I came across an article to do with mindfulness in golf and found it very interesting. I am on a personal journey as a coach within the golfing game, uh, and I have results-driven theories that I feel that can benefit golfers. Now I'm at the stage where I want to progress, and I've wrote some programs. Would you have, or can I have the opportunity to speak with you and talk about my current projects and ideas and going forward? I would really appreciate some time and mainly what I'm trying to do is to empower individuals and I'll be grateful for any guidance or collaborations. And let's have some fun and love and peace, John. And that evening, Dr. Joe sent me a message and said, I'm going to phone you tomorrow. And and straight away, you talk about your confidence and I was saying, mm-hmm. oh my God, Dr. Joe is going to ring me tomorrow. <laughs> How's this happened? Because I reached out and then we had a Skype call and I remember he looked at me down the screen and he says, what's your question to me? And I says, will you mentor me? And he went, yes. And from that moment on, we started working together. I sent him my program, my what's in the bag. He had a look at it. He sent it to a friend, a doctor of psychology. And then from there, we started to evolve it and he, 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 he helps me out and we speak once a month and we have a session and He's just so helpful. His stories are amazing. Who he learned his stuff from, where he's come from, what he's done, what he what he does. You know, working with Vijay Singh and Christy mm-hmm. Kerr and other top professionals within the game, and how he teaches kids mindfulness, and it's just brilliant. And to have him, I suppose, in my corner and maybe under his wing is, is is an absolute dream, and it's phenomenal to even work with him. And I look forward to continuing that relationship with him as well. And I, and I know that he's on the show next month as well, so you can have a good conversation with him then. But yeah, I really like to just thank Joe for accepting, I suppose, my my offer or, or asking him to, to be mentored. And, and here we are. That's what we're doing, working together. Just like that. Just because I reached out and I was brave enough to do it, I suppose. But at the time, I was pretty scared writing that note. <laughs> well, I always... I always think, you know, I always say, you, you know, ask and you shall receive. And if you don't ask, then you won't. And, um, you know, I, I've along my way have had many, you know, mentors that I've looked up to and, and um, you know, have helped me, you know, in, in my life's journey. And, and I often reflect back uh, to those times. What were some things specifically um, that through your conversations uh, with, with Dr. Joseph that, um, have helped sort of clean up, um, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You know, you had a plan, you've, you've had a vision, and uh, you sent him that plan, and, and he's come back to you with some, some things. What were, some, were there some specific things that he said to you 
um, John, that I think this would help achieve what you want to do if you did this. Were there some examples you could maybe give us of, of what uh, that conversation yeah. went like? For sure. The, one of the very first conversations. So the Watching the Bag program, I, um, I was on a plane going to Rome for a, a three-day summit. And it come to me, how do I get psychology across to golfers without being too psychology? And I, and I wrote in this notebook, what's in the bag? But what's in the bag is really what's in your mind. And the way that the program works is that I've broke items of the golf bag down. So we get a golf club, that's in the bag. And what you do is you would write the word club down the left-hand side of your page. And the first letter C would be your character. So we would talk about your character. L is your language and how you communicate with, you know, both internal and external. U is what is useful and what's not. So what kind of patterns are you running that used to work but no longer do? And B is about behaviours. So it was looking at taking different items of the bag but without becoming too psychology. And the first conversation I had with Dr. Joe was the first C that I had was conscious and subconscious mind. And he's and he straight away he said, "No, nope, John, you cannot talk to golfers. They, they, they won't get it. Think of a different <laughs> uh, think of a different meaning beginning with C." And straight away I was like, "Character." He went, "You've got it." So we we have conversations about the way that I come across and communicate with golfers because of his experience within the golfing industry and, and the people that he's coached. So just about changing my approach, my language, the way learning about mindfulness in, in a more deeper sense. We have conversations. He tells me stories about the people he's worked with. And he always says at, every, at the end of every call as well, is there anything else that you want from me? And I, I actually started a podcast in January this year, and it's called Keep Sharing. And Joe says that to me all the time. Just keep sharing, John. Just keep sharing information doesn't matter what it is, people are interested. And they're the kind of conversations that we have and they're, and they're fun and they're, and they're really enlightened by what we talk about and the future of what what Joe's done over the years and hopefully I can continue, you know, the great work that he's done with just different methods and theories. Well, it's brilliant. It, we, yeah. I, I just love having, having, having that one hour with him every month. It, it's good fun. It definitely spurs me on. Well, and and you know what he said about keep sharing, I think is so important, and and that's really why I do what I do here with the shows, is, and I, I've I've probably said this at least a thousand times, uh, both on and off the air, if not more. Um, these shows, I do this show and I do another one Tuesday morning. It's called the Women of Golf, and my good friend LPGA professional Cindy Miller and I co-host that together. And these shows are not about me. Um, you know, it's not the Ted Rico golf show. Uh, it's about bringing people like yourself, the many other guests that come on, and sharing their knowledge and their expertise and their experiences with my audience. Um, it, it's not about, you know, accolades for me or glory or what have you. Uh, that, to me, really doesn't mean anything. My satisfaction out of doing these programs, much like what you're doing is knowing that I'm sharing from some of the best people in this industry with my listeners, just like we did in the first segment uh, before you came on. 
you know, on the coach's corner panel, I do that every week. And we have a different group every week, different players. Uh, and, you know, many of them come on um, once a month. Um, some of the same players like that you heard tonight will come on again sometime next month and, and sometimes uh, the month following. But the idea is that we kind of pool our resources. I take my knowledge, they take their knowledge, and we have discussions like we did earlier on and share that. And that's essentially really what you're doing is you're not only teaching specific skills to help people handle themselves, not only on the golf course, but off the golf course, but you're sharing other people's knowledge, like Dr. Joe and, and others that you come across and have worked with. You're sharing those life experiences and that knowledge uh, to help make them a better person or persons uh, in the case of a group. And, and that's really what it's all about. And, um, you know, that's why I'm very fascinated by your story because you had really a very diverse background. You you were military um, to start off with, but you had a passion and love for the game of golf, and you've managed to learn from the skills and learn from the education that the military gave you, um, both in and out of battle, and have now learned to apply it to the various techniques that you're using through NLP and, and other forms, um, and sharing that knowledge and helping others um, reach and attain their goals and desires. Um, and, and that's really what life is all about. And I, I, I give you uh, credit um, for, for doing that because that's, uh, that shows um, the first C, character. That shows a lot about your character. And, and uh, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have you on my show. I'm, thank you so much, Ted. Them words, uh, they mean so much to me and what you just said. And I'm, I'm grateful to even just have this opportunity to, to share with you the, the stories about what I've done. And, and, and as you know, it can, everybody's so unique and individualized. We've all got a story to share. And when mm-hmm. you tap into people's true potential and let them share that story, it is, empowering for the individual to go off and believe and be inspired by the people that they've listened to, by what they've done. And that's all I've done throughout my whole life. I've looked at people who have been a little bit, you know, in a leadership role and said, one day I want to be like him. Looked at the mm-hmm. next person, how, what do I need to do? I even said to Dr. Joe, who's, who's been your teachers in life, you know, the Shambhala warrior stuff, which goes back, you know, two and a half thousand years and tapping into that sort of realms and, and you've done the same. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would like to echo them same words. Ted, you've you've done your military service, you're you doing a good service on this show by allowing people to come on and share their story and, and, and you're doing an amazing job for allowing people and creating that platform and it's a little bit like what I wanted to do with the podcast as well. I interviewed right. a guy I just wanted to quickly share with you. You might know him, he's called sure. David Finn from Canada. He's a, yeah, yeah. I, I had him on my show. Phenomenal guy. You know, he's talking about the World Hickory Golf Tournament that he plays in North Berwick, and he's invited me to play that in October. And he, he was world champion the first time he ever picked up the club. But his stories wow. about the, the, the countries he's played golf in, and there's a guy called Sonny Othatil, who's a Canadian. His, his dad was Indian, his mom was Irish, and he lived in Canada, and he's runs golf tours around Ireland and his story and Derek Murray club fitter at Augusta telling me about how him and his wife had breakfast and you know the crow's nest and stuff but it's just 
it's just I've had some amazing people on the show, Guy in Mauritius designing golf courses. And I only started doing this in January. And you do get to listen to people's inspirational thoughts, their pitfalls and the success stories. And if we keep doing that as in the golf and world, hopefully it'll have a knock-on effect and disseminate outwards and then people can be inspired by what they hear as well. And Joe's a great speaker at doing that, and as you are as well. And um, I appreciate the words that you said there. You've, you've made me go a little bit emotional. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's nice. Thank you. Well, you're quite welcome. But, and, um, um, there's some good uh, folk know, out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> well, what can I say? I'm Canadian, so there's we're we're, we're good us Canadians. I got to tell you, we're we're uh, uh, brothers in arms, uh, uh, the Canadians and and. Uh, our brothers over in the UK, we, we served together, um, many, many years and, in, in, uh, in different, uh, fronts. But, um, you know, John, I, I look at it this way and, um, you know, for me, when it comes to golf, you know, I much like yourself, my father taught me, uh, the game. I didn't take any, any formal, uh, training or lessons, uh, in this game. I learned to play with my father who was a very, very good golfer. And, you know, I watched and, and learned and listened to, um, you know, people along the way that have, have taught me, um, you know, many other aspects other than just how to hit the ball. And for me, when it came point in time for me to become, um, I knew I wasn't going to compete with, with the Nicholases and the Palmers and, and, and that crew. So I thought, well, rather than doing that, let me think of another way. And I always enjoyed helping others. And I thought, well, you know what? maybe I could teach what I've learned to somebody else. And so that's what I've done. That's why I became a, a teaching professional some years back, and I've been doing that for 25-plus years. These programs were something that came in about eight years ago that I decided to do because um, radio was something that was of interest to me. And um, so that was sort of how that came about. Um, but like you, I enjoy helping other people, and I do – um, my part and, and you do your part. And I think that um, working together, you know, right now we're all going through a very difficult time uh, with this global pandemic. A lot of people, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and, and as you're aware of, uh, have been cooped up. And it's very uh, uh, it's very mentally and emotionally draining for some. And, you know, we, on the surface, we kind of joke it off and laugh it off. But truth of the matter, the, their people are frightened or there's people that are scared and, and unsure of what the future holds. And, you know, we want to do things to to ease that, that tension. And um, as you mentioned earlier, golf is is one of the lucky games that um, uh, as we break open from this, uh, you know, this, this global tragedy, uh, golf is one of those few games that we're going to be able to get out a little sooner um, than some of the other ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are going to need help to, uh, you know, to, to bring their games back up to snuff, if you will, because they've been, you know, laying low in some cases for, for many, many months and, and then you've got a couple of months added on with the pandemic that people have been cooped up. So their games are going to be rusty. Um, so it's not only going to need the teaching side for me, but they're going to need somebody like yourself um, to, to, you know, to be able to, yeah. uh, to get them back on the, on the straight and narrow, as it were. So I want to take these last couple of minutes because we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, and uh, I hate that. It was probably a, a fast hour for me anyways. Um, but just to, to let the folks know if they want to uh, reach out, uh, you've got some websites. Uh, can you uh, let the folks know what your website is and where they can go to uh, to get more information? Um, because when a global world, we can we can cross paths even 
thousands of miles away. So people can certainly uh, get in touch with you as, as Dr. Joseph had from virtually anywhere in the world. So uh, how can the folks follow you or how can they find you uh, and, and get to your website? So you can find me um what's in the bag dot club is the program that I've launched and there's loads of information about what I do. My podcast is on there, there's interviews, there's some testimonials from that. John at your smart dot co dot UK is my email for anybody that wants to engage. And because I've been on your show, Ted, anybody that wants to or anybody that's listened to this show that wants to engage in my program, I'll be quite happily have a one-to-one conversation and knock off a little bit of a discount if they were to say John and Ted golf. Um, Perfect. John and Ted Radio Talk 2020. Um, or to say, that we'll go for John and Ted 2020. If they put that in the email and quote that, then I'll, I'll be quite happily to engage. And you're right that the world is going to need a little bit of nurturing and we've got to ease ourselves back in we can't go full on crazy we, you know we can't just rush back into things and if we do it properly and methodically and we do it the right way we can all come out of this better and we either live in two things and that's fear and love and if we can mm-hmm. just keep spreading the joy and keep sharing and we can share the love as much as we can because fear as you know can just generate a lot of stress and anxiety and mm-hmm. we can be feared of by just what's happening. So they're the two things that we really live in, the two biggest emotions in life. And if we can just love what we do and just help people and we can guide others and support them in the way that we can, then that's that's far better. We're gonna be, you know, we're gonna be moving in a in a better direction. And I couldn't agree. When we were talking about linguistics before yeah, we talked about sorry, linguistics and language before, um David Finn, when I interviewed him, everybody was calling it lockdown and quarantine and isolation. Them words alone make you feel anxious. And I remember right. ringing him up and he says, I'm in stay-at-home stay mode. I was like, that's such a nice thing to say. I'm just at stay-at-home mode. <laughs> so I used that one for the rest of the, the time. And he's such a, a lovely guy to speak to. And he really just settled the, the situation. And yeah. So what's in the bag dot club or John at your smart dot co dot UK. And if I if I can help out with you, Ted, in any way and do a little blog and post it out there or whatever we can do together in collaboration, I'm I'm up for that. It'd be good fun. Well well, I appreciate John. Thank you very much. And I wanna uh give a special thank you to Jackie Arnick as well at Two Iron Marketing for arranging this, as John mentioned earlier on. Uh her and I met at the um uh, PJ uh, merchandising show this past January at a, an after party, if you will, and uh, she was um, obviously representing you, and she also represents uh, Dave Scholes as, as well. And uh, David, of course, has been on my show, and he was on here just not too long ago uh, talking about uh, Next Links and uh, and some of the different things that you mentioned already that he's that he's been working on. Very very excited for him, and and uh, so we want to say thank you to Jackie for connecting John and I and. And uh, John, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on the program, and uh, I hope I can convince you to come back on again, uh, again sometime, and we'll uh, we'll continue the conversation. Ted, you let me know anytime, and hopefully we can share the fairways at some point, either come across to Europe and Ireland, or I'm going to come and visit the states when the, these borders reopen and everybody's safe. But I really 
from the bottom of my heart, just thank you for giving me an hour of your time to be able to share what I'm doing with the, with the people. And like you said, you know, I've I've got Jackie, David, and Dr. Joe all talking now in in the US, and I'm in Europe, so we're all collaborating to make this thing work that we want to. But thank you. Well, I really appreciate. It. I appreciate. John, thank you again very much for being my special guest tonight on, on Coach's Corner. And again, thank you, Jackie, for uh, helping to arrange this. And uh, I look forward to the next time, um, whether it be here or whether I be there. Uh, but we'll definitely make a point of getting together. John, thank you very much. God bless my friend. And keep doing the great work that you're doing. And, and again, thank you for being my special guest tonight on Golf Talk Live. I appreciate that. Thanks. Goodbye now. All right. Go get some rest. All right. Go get some rest. Bye-bye. All right, that was John Taylor, uh, performance mind coach and NLP master practitioner, and uh, just a, a really great guy. You can uh, visit his website. Again, it's whatsinthebag.club uh, or john at your smartmind.co uh, uh, is his email address, so you can uh, reach out to him either of those two ways. But um, I want to thank uh, the guys and 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 that on Coach's Corner as well, Pete Buchanan, Peter Agazarian, and Jamie Leno-Zimron for uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. Um, and just a, a quick reminder, everybody, that uh, June 16th, uh, my first issue as the new owner-publisher of Golf Tips Magazine will be hitting newsstands. Uh, and I'm not going to – I've shared on social media, so I guess I can let it out. Um, on the cover is uh, – uh, a gentleman that I've admired and watched growing up over the years, um, the legendary Arnold Palmer. Of course, the images uh, him in his younger days, but uh, a, a great article in the magazine um, has been written by um, a new friend, uh, Peter Kessler, who I'm all sure you're all familiar with. He's put together a, a great uh, personal story, if you will, about the late Arnold Palmer. So uh, newsstands, it'll be hitting uh, Golf Tips magazine June 16th, and obviously subscribers will be receiving their copy uh, a little bit before that. But I'm very, very excited uh, taking over Golf Tips Magazine. If you're not a subscriber, uh, uh, again, I, I strongly urge you, there's going to be some great issues coming up uh, later in the year, but uh, a great one to start with uh, coming out here in the next few weeks. So go to golftipsmag.com. That's golftipsmag.com. And go to the subscribe page, and you can subscribe either to the print edition. It's 14.97. You get six issues a year, and uh, you can also, for an extra five dollars, you can add on and get the digital version as well. So you can have both. You can have uh, a copy you can hold in your hands, or if you're somebody that likes to use a Kindle or or some other tablet, you can get the digital the digital version as well for an extra five dollars. So go to golftipsmag.com and uh, visit the subscribe uh, section there and uh, get your uh, Golf Tips Magazine subscription today. Thanks, everybody. God bless, and I will see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and, of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week 
for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.